This Week at Hope Point. I opened it up and I bared my soul with you and I became completely vulnerable so that you knew exactly who I was. That's biblical community. It's being authentically real. No facade, no mask, and there's no reason to. Jesus has forgiven me. What am I ashamed of? Here's who I am. Warts and all, but praise the Lord, all that's forgiven. What do I, why would I hide it? Being in biblical community means we are willing to be vulnerable and share our soul. This is who I am. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as our teacher speaks to us from God's holy word. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's in the New Testament. It's one of the Pauline letters uh, in, in his little list right before the pastorals. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So the, the title today is Biblical Community That Turns the World Upside Down. And I've chosen this title intentionally. We'll see as we get towards the very end, turning the world upside down actually comes from Acts. This is the, the language that the Thessalonians that were unbelievers were using about the Christians. Uh, and it's all because what we're going to see as we read in the, the book of Thessalonians, that Paul had set up an amazing opportunity for community there, biblical community, and it was being utilized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came in there, and it was, as they say in Acts, turning the world upside down. Um, I moved here about two years ago, uh, and Hope Point was the only church that we visited. We, we came in. Uh, my best friend Brian was here. I came here, and so uh, I've been here for two years. Uh, and we knew that in Rock Hill, the church we're at, had a... Uh, a great community group system, and we knew that being in a community group was essential. And so we wanted to hop into a community group there, or here, as soon as we got here. And so uh, after about a month, we went on a Sunday and signed up for a community group, uh, my wife and I, and we understood because being community is essential. And right now, I work at, uh, for the last couple of years, at Davis Services, and after we've been here about a month, um, Davis Services sent me to a place called Flex Cube in Duncan. And whenever I went there, God had a divine appointment in mind, because this is where Todd Nethery works. Um, and so I went there, and I started talking to him about HVAC, but that kind of quickly passed, and we started talking about Hope Point. And I was like, yeah, we go to Hope Point. He goes, I go there. And I was like, well, that's amazing. Uh, somebody else I can finally meet. You know, I don't know a whole lot of people. I just moved here. And I started telling him that we were actually interested in joining a community group. We just signed up this past Sunday to join in a community group. This is on a Tuesday. And he goes, oh, well, I'm starting a community group tomorrow night. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. This sounds great. But we want to be in Bowling Springs. He goes, oh, we live in Bowling Springs. And I was like, okay, the Lord's doing something here. And we went the next, the next night. Uh, I got, as soon as I finished the Todd, I got back in my truck and I called Christy, my wife, and I was like, you're not going to believe this. You know how we just signed up for community group Sunday? I just met somebody. They're starting one like tomorrow night in Bowling Springs. Amazing. And so we've been in that community group for two years. And the Lord has really used that group uh, to grow us together and walking with Christ. It's been an amazing amazing thing. And so what I want to do today is to convince all of us to enjoy the deep, glorious riches of being in biblical community. Because if you're pursuing it and looking for it like God was faithful, it will come to you. There is opportunity for you to be in biblical community here at Hope Point. Um, and if you 
um, would look for it, I promise the Lord would be faithful to bring it to you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is uh, biblical community. And I want to convince you that you should be in it this morning. So Matthew 28 starts this way. I want to start with uh, Matthew 28. To, to get a big picture of understanding of what discipleship and biblical community looks like. So Matthew 28, this is the Great Commission. Jesus says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority and in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and, here it is, make disciples of all nations. He wants us to make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them uh, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So a clear command from the scriptures is that we are, as believers, to make disciples. And so when we say make disciples, uh, all churches should take this seriously. Most of them do. Uh, and I know that here at Hope Point, the command from Matthew 28 to make disciples is something that the elders take really seriously. And so making disciples is not just evangelism. Evangelism is the, the process of telling someone how to get saved so that an unbeliever becomes, becomes saved. That's great and glorious. We're all agreeing on that. We want to do that. But making a disciple is not just doing the work of evangelism, but it's also the work of discipleship. Once they become a Christian, helping them grow in their understanding of faith, helping them um, see it and understand sin in their life so they'll kill it, want to be in community so they can love and care for one another, get into the word and prayer and understand that they, have, they can grow as a believer. And so this is what discipleship is. And the elders, of course, here at Hope Point take this very seriously. And the way that they've structured uh, the discipleship processes here at Hope Point is uh, for that to happen. And the main way, there's really two ways. The main way is on Sunday mornings. God has ordained uh, for the last 2,000 years that uh, the Sunday, money, Sunday morning worship time be the primary means of discipleship. Therefore, when uh, Richard stands up here and exp exposits text, the, the main thing that he's wanting to do is to feed the sheep or give them the meat of the word so that we can hear the word, receive the word, understand it and be challenged and grow. And that is the, the main way since Christendom for the last 2,000 years that churches have been uh, discipled uh, and that's the way that they should be. Now, here at Hope Point, there's a, a second arm of discipleship. It's not the primary. The, the preaching of the word on Sunday morning is the primary, but there is a second arm of discipleship that if you're not in, I would encourage you to be in. And that is here, it's community groups. Now, all churches have this second way, whether it be Sunday schools or whatever, but, but here at Hope Point, it's, it's community groups. And so my, my hope is that after hearing this, that while coming on Sunday mornings is good and hearing uh, the preaching of the word, that you would see the value in being in community groups or what we're going to call it, uh, biblical community, that you would see the value of that and you would want to do it. My goal this morning is to convince you to join the discipleship structure here at Hope Point of the church so that you're getting everything that Hope Point has to offer you for your discipleship. Now, um, I don't want to do this by guilt trip or just making you feel bad because that doesn't last. That's not at all. What I want to do instead is to be winsome by painting a picture through the word, through the word of the greatness of God and his design for biblical community that you will find it so compelling that you're won over by the word, not guilt, but won over by the word and you see the glorious benefits of being in community and you want to do it. So my goals today are, are this. If you're not in a community group yet, um, or maybe you've been in one and now you're not in a weekly adult community group that's going on that you would join it. 
or if you're in one, and perhaps you've been at Hope Point such a long time that you could easily be a leader of a community group, that you would think like a missionary and go start one. Uh, and the last one is just this. If you're in a group, and things are awesome, but they feel routine, that some of the things we talk about today would challenge some of the weekly assumptions or, or you know, weekly kind of uh, rhythms that you're in to expand your mind on what are some other things that could be in your group. That's what I want. I want, to, I want to convince you of the utter need for biblical community in your life. John Piper says it this way. We need people. We need relationships. We need the ministry of the saints. That's Christians in our lives. So while becoming a Christian is, without a doubt, a personal decision, being a Christian is never meant to be a personal decision. It's always meant to be done in community. The Godhead is in community for eternity past and eternity future. If, if, the, if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in, always in community, therefore we should be as well. And so when I say biblical community, this is what I mean. A community that is centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ for, and, and only that, for the purpose of growing us up. And we want to invite people in to our lives and we pursue it with everything we have. Now, um, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter two. So what I wanna do, we're gonna start in verse one, but in order for us to feel the flavor of the community that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse one, I wanna jump up to chapter one, verse five, just to see one little thing that he says so that we can really feel the depth of everything he's going to say in chapter two. So just one chapter up. If it helps, if you can't find it yet, I'm on page 1806 in my Bible, if that helps you. Um, so anyway, <laughs> all right. So first Thessalonians, look in verse, verse five of chapter one, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power of the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, this is the sentence. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. How can they know what kind of men they proved to be among them unless they were actually with them day in, day out, doing real biblical community and life with them? If they weren't doing that, then they couldn't know. And so you know what kind of men we were. We didn't just come in there, say a couple things about the gospel, and we were gone and let you figure it out. That's not how it works. We, we wanted you to be evangelized, but then discipled. And the way that that happens in the church is we're, we're together. Now, I'm going to expand on this a lot, but use that knowing that Paul was, was among them and with them when we go into chapter two. So look at this, chapter two, verse one. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I'm gonna stop there. So if you were uh, familiar with this text, Paul's in Thessalonica. He's going to Thessalonica, but he just came from Philippi. Uh, a few months back when I was preaching in Acts 16, we talked about the persecution that Paul experienced in Philippi when he was put in jail. Well, right when he left that being beat up, being wrongfully accused in Philippi, he left Philippi and went straight to Thessalonica. Now, most of us, if we go to a city as a missionary and we're beat up, we're beat with rods, and they throw us in jail and are wrongfully treated, whenever we finally get to leave that city of missionary work, we're thinking vacation. <laughs> Did some work for the Lord, experienced a lot of persecution and suffering, and maybe a little vacation before I hit the road and go into the next city. Not Paul. Soon as I leave Philippi and I'm persecuted, I'm going straight to Thessalonica, and he's going to be persecuted there. 
and he's going to keep going down to Athens. So he, he has a missionary mindset that I'm, going to, I'm willing to endure much suffering, even though I know it's going to happen, for the sake of this community, because people need this, which is our first trait of this. So we're, there, there's lots of traits of biblical community all over. These, I think, are the six in this particular text. But Christians develop boldness in their walk, and they're willing to endure much to create biblical community. They are willing, this is maybe the key, the key endure much. We as believers should be willing to endure a lot with our biblical community for the sake of growing biblical community. It means when it's tough, we don't tap out. When it's tough, we don't say, I can't do it. World War II, now I, I got a couple books I've been reading just thinking about it. Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote this during World War II and what is the importance of Christians being together. And this is just another kind of uh, good one. True Community by, by uh, Jerry Bridges. But these two are, are good. But Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Remember, this is World War II in Germany. Um, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more, I have it on, on here. There we go. The more genuine and the more deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. When we see that Christ's work is the most important thing, we are willing to endure much suffering for the people of God around us. Well, like I said, we just got here two years ago, and my group, uh, the Nethery small group, community group was willing to do that for us. When we first moved here, uh, we needed our family a lot of prayer. Um, we, have a, we have eight children, a lot, I know. Uh, one in heaven now. Uh, back in October, our special needs daughter passed away. When we got here, uh, we had just a great need for, for prayer, for help, for people to come around us and care for us. It was an enormous task to continually take care of Evangeline every day. And our group came around us and endured much for us. They were willing to give their time for us. They gloriously and willingly walked through a lot of pain with us. They endured tough times with us as she passed away back in October. And it was a beautiful example, I think, of Christian community that they, even though it's time to walk through something difficult, they're willing to step in and do it even if it's gonna take up a lot of their time or be a tough thing for them. Our community group really embodied the idea of 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one member suffers, all members suffer. That's what it means to be in biblical community and endure much. Christ Jesus endured much suffering on the cross in order that we would be saved. And so as an example, we likewise, as believers, are willing to endure much for the sake of our group, for the sake of our biblical community. So that's the first one, is we are willing to endure much for the sake of creating and sustaining ongoing biblical community. We don't tap out at the first part so when it's hard or when it takes up too much of our time. Now, when we keep going, we're gonna see the next one here. If you go to verse three, for our appeal, that means uh, we're trying to help you understand you need Christ, and so I'm, I'm, I'm from the scriptures telling you, you need Jesus. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you the truth of the gospel. But this is where it gets so good. But, we, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts or examines our hearts. So this brings us to our second trait of biblical community. And it's all about the gospel. We're gonna see it in verses three and four, but the gospel is the central motivation of biblical community. The reason why 
you're with, the group that you're with is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the nethery group wouldn't just get together and talk about fill in the blank, fireworks. You know, who builds their group around fireworks or who builds their group around kickball? I don't know. Fill it, like, we're together. We, we probably would never even hang out, but the gospel of Jesus has brought us together and it's the, it's the central motivation of why we get together. Not only is it the, only, the motivation, but it's the message it's the message that has saved us, and it's the message that we proclaim. So a glorious trait of biblical community is that the gospel is the central motivation. Now, I want you to see it in verse 4, what we're, what we're, exactly what we're saying. Look at verse 4. Um, just as we have been, here it is, approved by God. This approved in the Greek, it's, it's uh, something... It's called the aorist tense. It means it's in the perfect tense. And so it's something that's indicated that's happened in the past and it's continually true right now. So this is speaking of justification. You have been approved by God. You've been forgiven by God. And now that you've been forgiven, on going forward, it's presently true in your life right now. So here's what's amazing, right? The gospel has approved you. The gospel has justified you. And since the gospel has been given to you to approve you or justify you, God says, now that you've been approved by the gospel, I'm gonna give you and trust you with the gift of the gospel to go tell other people. That's how he says it. Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So a way to think of it is this. The entrusting springs forth from the approving. The giving of the gospel to say it is because you actually have been approved. I'll say it this way. The gospel approves you, justifies you before God, and then he entrusts you with the very thing that saves you. The gospel carries you, and you carry the gospel. It's just unbelievable, and this is the central component of what it means to be in biblical community. Um, when we think about the gospel, we can think that it's a an easy kind of come to Jesus message, and I got it. I was a sinner, I need to get saved, I confess in my sin, and I'm a Christian. I've got that one down. Let's go on to the deeper things of, of, the, of God. But instead, as believers, as we grow in, in our faith, what we realize is the gospel isn't something we come to and then move on to deeper things. It's the thing that we come to and we never leave. So, I like to try to think, illustrate it this way. Think of the gospel, the good news that Jesus saved you as a diamond. And so you have this beautiful diamond that when you look at it, you're like, this is amazing, this message that Jesus saved me. And so we're gonna talk about Jesus died on the cross for me. When you look at it after a while, you've seen the brilliance of it and you're like, okay, I'm because we as humans are fickle people. We, we look at stuff and we get bored. I have an iPhone, I got bored one day after it, right? I got a new one and I'm bored the next day. Like, we're, that's, that's the way our hearts are. And sometimes we can think of the gospel that way. So think of the gospel as a diamond. This message, this part of the gospel, Jesus died for me, okay. What I wanna do is turn it and see a different avenue of the gospel. When I see it, I'm like, whoa, that's something I haven't thought about, about the gospel. And in community, we want to continually, before each other, Turn the diamond and remind each other of all the beautiful aspects of this one message. Here's my, here's my example. This is, I'm turning the diamond on you. I'm going to Colossians chapter one just to illustrate the beauty of the gospel. Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus has, Ephesians 1 says we were, Ephesians 2, sorry, 1 through 3 says that we were once followers of the prince of the power of the air. That means we were all followers of Jesus. I'm sorry, followers of Satan. And, but Jesus has taken us from that. And it says in Colossians, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is an amazing way to think about the gospel. It's different than Christ died for me. I used to go to the University of South Carolina a long time ago. Nobody likes South Carolina. All right. All right. We won by one. Anyway, so uh, I was there, right? I was there for three years, and then I worked at this camp called Camp McCall, and I met Brian and a bunch of other guys, and they told me about this school called Charleston Southern, and I was right then. I knew I wanted to go in ministry, and this camp was telling me I need to go in ministry, and so I decided, you know what? I'm not going to stay at USC anymore. I'm going to transfer to CSU. I'm going to go major in, in Christian studies, and so I, I, I moved into Charleston Southern in January of, I don't know what it was, 90-something, and then I'm there, Right? And so there was never a time when I got up while I was a student at Charleston Southern, never a time where I would get up and I would walk out to my truck and I would start it and I would leave North Charleston and I would drive all the way to Columbia and I would go to class in Columbia. That would be ridiculous. Why? Because I had transferred. That old USC was over. This is what it means to be a believer. We've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. We don't get in our car and drive back to the old life because we've been saved from that. This is the message that compels us and drives us to say, I want to obey the Lord and be in community because I am no longer who that was anymore. Praise the Lord. He saved me and he's transferred me into the kingdom of the sun. We have new affections to where I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be this person now. And so what we need to do as believers then, therefore, is Talk about the gospel a lot. Just take, I would love it if you did this. Take this week and just start in Acts 1 and go to Acts 28 and just read every little story of groups of people getting together, talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus, and whenever they were together, see what God does. What you'll notice is they got together, they proclaimed, and the Lord added to their number. And then this group got together, they talked about Jesus, they shared the gospel, and the Lord added to the number, and the Lord added to the number, and the Lord added to the number. Well, we're groups of people. We have the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Lord would add to our groups of people and add to our number. But we see this right here. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the power of the, entrusted with the gospel, what does it say right there? So we speak. We have, to, we have to be speaking people. That's why I said I have this little verse two and eight because when Paul says in verse two, we declared to you the gospel of God. In verse eight, we came to you when we were ready, that ready to share is more like um, we were pleased and we did. We were happy to and we did when it says ready to share the gospel of God with you. We were, so we speak. We said the gospel. This means that when we get together, in our groups throughout the week. We gospelize each other all the time. We remind each other, which means the message of the gospel isn't just something for unbelievers to get saved, it's for believers to continually hear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he said, now I would remind you brothers therefore of the gospel. I would remind you brothers, 
Christians, you need to hear this message again. And then in verse three and four, he says, Christ died according to the scriptures and was raised according to the scriptures. So over and over, we understand that the message of the gospel is something that we need to hear again and again and again to where we say, please tell me the message again. Tell me what Christ has done for me. My soul feels wayward. Remind me who I am. Remind me that I've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. I need to hear again that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Tell me, my dear fellow brother or sister in Christ, gospel me right now and tell me what I need to hear because my heart can be wayward. This is what it means. We get together and it's the motivation and the message. We proclaim it to each other and we proclaim it to this world. That's the second trait of a biblical community. We talk about the gospel a lot. The next one is this. If you go to verse five, verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or pretext for greed, God is witness. So Paul's saying, when I came to Thessalonica, I didn't have anything greedy. There was no pretext for greed. My primary motive was not greed to see what I could get out of you Thessalonians, but instead to see what I could give to you Thessalonians, which is this. And this is, I think this is huge. Our primary dominant mindset is to give to the community more than we get from it. When we go to our community group, what we want to do is to give as much as we can. Acts 20, 35, remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't ever get. You will. I mean, in my group with Todd, I, I received probably over the, the last year more than I gave because it was just a tough part of life. And it doesn't mean this. When someone tries to, they, the, the Lord lays it on them and they want to come to you and they want to give to you, you don't say, don't give me, don't, I, I'm never to get. <laughs> you go give it to someone else. It doesn't even do that because the Lord's ble, ble, laid it on their heart to do it. But the dominant mindset for us is to give. John Piper says it this way. This is who you are as a Christian. The moment you become a Christian, you are a giver by nature. You, oh, they fixed it, awesome. You may, um, you may not have become fully what you are yet, but this is who you are. Self-giving is a part of your new nature, your essence, your identity. As believers in Christ, what we want to, and with our group, what we want to think of is when I wake up this morning, my group's on Wednesday. When I wake up Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, who in this group can I encourage? Who in this group can I pray for? Who in this group can I send an encouraging text to? Who in this group can I reach out to and see how they're doing? Everyone has something to give. And so um, this isn't a matter of, of debate. We all have spiritual gifts. We all have something to give. Now, I want to I give you an illustration of what I mean by this. In the New Testament, there's 59 verses, what I call the one another, not me, but it's called the one another texts. It means like, these are the things that we're supposed to do to one another. Pray for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. Uh, these 59 occurrences in the New Testament are not written in the form of suggestion. They're written in what's called the imperative form, which means a command, which means as believers, they're commands and we have to obey them. These are things we're supposed to do no matter what. So uh, here's, 
I have 25 of them, and they're overwhelming just looking at the 25. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, teach one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, pray for one another, bear with one another. I mean, there's, there's tons of them. Speak the truth and love to one another. There, there's 25 of them just there. In what context, if they're commands, can we do it if it's not in our, in our, in our church community? There is not a place that we'll do and obey those commands if it isn't in our church body. And so these, these commands are given to us and we must do them. These aren't things that we have an option for. When I was in seminary uh, about 20 years ago, I know you're thinking, 20 years ago, wow. Uh, were you in elementary school? Um, I'm just kidding, I, I wish I was young. Anyway, so uh, 20 years ago I'm in seminary and we were in a community group. We had seen the, been sold on community group even in seminary. Um, and I was in Jeff Doyle's community group. And I, I was in it for about a year, and it was great. I mean, I learned so much about community and growing in biblical community in Jeff Doyle's community group. Uh, my wife and I did. And when we were there, uh, we did it a full year. I was in seminary three years. Did it a full year. And the start of the second year, I went through it for the first semester. And in January, this is awesome, intramural basketball started at seminary. A bunch of old guys getting their master's degrees, intramural basketball. So, you know, I grew up playing a lot of basketball and I wanted to show off my chops. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. The worst part of it is intramural basketball, my groups were there, was on Thursdays. Intramural basketball was on Thursdays. And so I had a decision. Community group or intramural basketball and re relive the glory days. And so, you know, as a 20-year-old who's not very smart, I chose the glory days. Relive the intramural basketball. Christy, you can go to community group. I'm gonna go to uh, intramural basketball because it's gonna be super fun. And community group for me right now is getting kind of rote. Like, I get tons out of church. I get tons out of seminary classes. You know, it's fine. And so I, I, I'm go to basketball. And after about four or five weeks, Jeff Doyle, uh, who also was on staff at the church, comes to me and he confronted me. And he said, hey, Fudd, you should be at community group. And i like, hey, I'm playing ball, man. We live in the glory days. What are you talking about? Um, and I, I'm getting tons out of seminary. I'm getting tons out of church. I'm not really getting anything out of community groups anymore. And so y'all don't really need me there. Right, really arrogant. He looked me right in the eyes and with compassion and love and said, you need these guys pouring into your heart. And even more so, they need you to be there because you don't have a clue what the Holy Spirit's gonna say through you and bless them and encourage them. Why would you forsake that FUD? I dropped out of intramural basketball and was back in community group the very next week. Praise the Lord for Jeff Doyle. Um, but that's what I mean when I say your dominant mindset is to give. It's not about me in this group. I want to think, how can I bless this group? So who this week in your group can you bless and pray for and encourage and reach out to? Now, the next one is in verse six. If you look at verse six, it says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if you look at verse six at the very beginning, it says, nor did we seek glory for us. So what we know is Paul and his fellow missionaries, when they went into Thessalonica, they didn't want glory for themselves. We don't want it for us. We did not seek glory for ourselves. And we confer, and I think it's an educated inference, therefore we wanted to seek glory for God. We're here for the glory of Jesus Christ, is what he's saying. So this fourth one, and although this fourth one is a little bit different than the other ones, uh, it's this. The ultimate aim for all biblical communities is the glory of God. So 
Think of this fourth one, if you have all six right here, kind of in a list, think of this fourth one as kind of lifting up above them and really being an umbrella of how you think about one through three and five and six. How we give, how the gospel center, how it all it is, is because of the glory of God. We are, and the only reason I made it fourth is because I'm just I'm going in verse order. So um, this is a 30,000 overarching principle of how to think about community groups. The glory of God. And I could, I could find 10,000 verses in the Bible to show you that I think this is what it is, but I just have one, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. It's always been about the glory of God. So uh, for the glory of God at Hope Point, I wanna give you a couple stats for us to think about that I think are super important. I asked Caleb to give me all these. 83 people right now have recently let Hope Point know they wanna be in community group. 83 have gone through membership class and they wanna be, but right now there isn't a group for them and it's not because the groups are like, no, get out. <laughs> it's because they're literally so full there isn't any room. 83 people right now wanna be in community group and have indicated it, but there's just no room. We have 17 groups right now um, and there's 20 more people going through new, mem new members class right now, which means we're gonna have 103, 100 plus people that want to be in community group right now, and there's no space. That's the people that have indicated they want to be in group. There's probably another 100 that come to here on Sunday mornings that aren't in one as well, which means we have about 200 or so people that need to be in group right now, um, that need to experience these glorious traits of biblical community in their life to grow. Now, um, there's 17 groups. There's four people, four couples that have stepped up right now to lead new groups, four. Um, if you do the math, each group can hold about 12. There's probably a need for 10 to 15 more leaders to step up to create space for those other 200 people, four, 10 to 15 new leaders. I told you the story of meeting Todd, but I didn't tell you the rest of the story. Um, after I told Todd I was going to be preaching, and I told him, I said, I'm going I'm to tell the, this crazy story about how God put us together and how I joined your group right away. He said, oh, Fudd, you don't know the rest of the story. I said, what is it? He said, here's the thing. Um, what you don't know is that I was in a community group for a long time uh, with really, really close friends. And we had been in a community group, and we had been growing together for a long time. And the Lord laid it on mine and Jeannie's heart that we needed to leave that group and start a whole new group and not know anybody so that new people that are coming to Hope Point will have an ability to experience what I've been experiencing for years. And it's a, that's a sacrifice. That's thinking like a missionary, leaving the, the comfort of the homeland to go to a new place to do it for the sake of others to be a part of it. He says, we prayed about it for a long time and we did. And so we, we started a new group so that another 12 people that are, need to be in community could come in. And I praise the Lord that Todd did that. So I had, a, I had a way as a new person to break into community at Hope Point and experience this because he was obedient to step out and do that. Um, which I think that perhaps there's people that are leadership quality type people here at Hope Point that could do that. Um, it, this card is around you right now somewhere. Uh, I would invite you Right now, if you think there's a chance that you could step out, because you've been at Hope Point for an hour, a long time, you're, you understand the DNA of community groups, and you're, you could be a leader, I encourage you to fill this out, and on that bottom say, I'm interested in leading a community group. We're, we need that. Hope Point needs that. And if you're here, and you're like, I, I want to join, 
I need to be in one, I invite you to check that first box, put it in the box there at the end, or just walk out to the, to the table and put it in there. But that was the rest of the story. And I, I praise the Lord that Todd did that so that we had places to go. And for the glory of God, let's make this something that we can do at Hope Point and aim for the glory of God and make room for more people just like me. Now, the last couple are this. If you look with me, verse eight. So being, I'm skipping verse seven, I'm going to verse eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because here it is, you become so very dear to us. So the next one is this. Believers grow in a selfless love for others. Look at this language. This is a striking language. Verse eight. So being, look at that, affectionately desirous. That's, that's strong language. That's the kind of language I usually just kind of would only say to our spouse. You know, Christy, I'm affectionately desirous of you. Thinking of other people and looking at them and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty affectionately desirous of you <laughs> to hang out with you be in group. Like that's strong, a strikingly strong language, right? But this, as strong as that is, as, as weird sounding as it is, the point I'm trying to make is that Paul had developed for them an absolute deep love for them. Community groups thrive when we have that kind of love for each other. He illustrates it if you look in verse 7. We were gentle among you like nursing mothers. And in verse 11, for like a father, we, the children, we exhorted you. So I come gently to you like a nursing mother, and I come compassionate to you like a father, and I exhort you, and I admonish you, and I'm gentle with you. That parental love is something we can understand. We can also see it in verse 9. For you, brothers, when I came to you, now in context, what he's saying is, I ministered to you at nighttime, and during the day I worked a job so I could pay to eat to do it. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So what he's saying is, when I came to you, I got a job and sold tents during the day and made my money so I could pay to buy food. And at nighttime is whenever I would minister after I had made my money to be able to eat because I didn't want to burden you. I don't want you to pay for my food and just do ministry all day. So I worked so that I could still do ministry. Now, that's, that's in context what he's saying, but we can pull that as an application for us to illustrate selfless love by saying this. We can do the same thing. We should be willing to labor and toil in the life of other people because we love them. We should be willing to have many nights and days that are reserved for us as just extra so I don't have to do stuff and give it to other people out of selfless love for them. We can proclaim the gospel to them when they want to hear it and they don't want to hear it out of a selfless love for them. That's what we're saying when we say selfless love. We have to, as Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir up love and good works. I should be ever mindful of the people in my group because I love them, of how to cause them to continually grow in their walk with Jesus because God has made me affectionately desirous for them. Now, we're gonna come back to that because something is gonna, it blew my mind. The last thing, last thing, it's still in verse eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're not really sharing the gospel, but here it is, I wanna key in on this, but also it says in, our, in the SV, our own selves you might have an NIV and it says our own lives. That's really our souls. So if you, if you uh, look at that Greek word, it's psuche. It means 
the soul or the seat of my feelings, my desires, my affections, my fears. It's literally everything that makes me up of who I am. And Paul said, I came to you, Thessalonians, and I didn't just share the gospel with you, but this is what I did. I opened it up and I bared my soul with you and I became completely vulnerable so that you know exactly who I was. That's biblical community. It's being authentically real. No facade, no mask, and there's no reason to. Jesus has forgiven me. What am I ashamed of? Here's who I am. Warts and all, but praise the Lord, all that's forgiven. What do I, why would I hide it? Being in biblical community means we are willing to be vulnerable and share our soul. This is who I am. We share our souls with people. We don't put up masks. We don't fake. We tell them who we are. Piper says it this way. When the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls, their joy, their guilt, their fear, their deep longing, and their, pe- and their passions. And so deep and meaningful relationships are the heart of Christianity and the heart of community. We share our souls with each other. He said, we loved you so much, we, be- we bore our souls with you. We were vulnerable, we were transparent, we were honest, we were authentic, we had an honest, an honest and authentic relationship between the Thessalonians and these missionaries that came to them. So let's be honest here for a second, okay? I just said, rip it open and share who you are with your whole group. And you're like, mm, that's difficult. And I agree. Um, you could have been burned by doing this before. And so you're apprehensive. I've done that, FUD. I didn't like how it felt. I get that. It doesn't change the text. It's still there. We still have to do it. Or perhaps um, you, you were raised in a family that that's just never been something that you've done. And you don't even know how. I don't even know how to talk about who I am really with people that really love me and care for me so that they can pour into me. I, I don't even know how to verbalize these things. I'm not good at that. That's fine. When I say you're willing to share your soul. I don't mean that week one, you open up the closet and you just grab all the skeletons and you just throw them out on the floor and you say, there's me. That's not what we do, right? Instead, what we're saying is this. What I mean is this. We are absolutely all sold because we love Jesus on the trajectory that in this group, we are on the definite path towards sharing our souls with each other because, and we're gonna continually grow into that because we know that it honors Christ and we're gonna keep doing it until the Holy Spirit brings it about, until he comes again. And if it takes a while, it takes a while. But we are absolutely sold on it, that here I am. And if we're burned, we ask for help through it and we pray for all that as we go through it and then we, as missionaries, we do it again. We do it again. Now, I wanna show you something that I think is stunning. It's over in Acts 17. Acts 17, verses one through nine, is the account of Paul in in Thessalonica. So we've seen the letter that he sent, but I wanna show you something. If you can't find it, it's page 1660 in my Bible. Um, All right, so anyway, just kidding. So look at this right here. In 17, Acts 17, it's about four books to the left, five books to the left or so. Acts 17, verse six. And they could not find them. This is, this is talking about how Paul suffered in Thessalonica. 
They dragged Jason. This is what they did to the believers that Paul had, had proclaimed the gospel to. And some of these brothers out before the city authorities and they shouted, watch this. These men have turned the world upside down. We just talked about biblical community. What does true biblical community do? It turns the world upside down. This is not Christians talking. This is the unbelievers who hate the message in Thessalonica saying, these people are turning the world upside down. What are you gonna do? Now, that is beautiful because we're like, yeah, that's right. Bring it up. Let's, let's turn the more upside down. That's what we're after. Now, that's not the mind-blowing part. Here's the mind-blowing part. I, I want you to see this. Go up to verse one in 17 and be ready. It, it blew my mind. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, I don't know why the Bible has cities that are so hard to pronounce. Just say it fast now, like, you know. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they, they came to Thessalonica. Here we are. They came to Thessalonica. Here we get. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in. This is how he did it. Every city, he would first go to the synagogue. He would minister to the Jews, proclaiming the scriptures. If they didn't want it, he'd go to the Gentiles. Always that pattern. Go to the synagogue, proclaim it to the Jews. If they don't want it, go to the Gentiles. That's what happened here. He went to the Jews. They didn't want it. He proclaimed it to the Gentiles. Actually, we see that Gentiles were persuaded in verse 4, but the Jews didn't like it. That's why they kicked him out. But the, here's the part. And Paul went from as his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Okay, Fudd, what? Three Sabbath days. Now, that's three weeks. Paul was in Thessalonica. I just unpacked this. I'm, I'm affectionately desirous for you. You became dear to us. He was there three weeks. That's it. He never went back. That's at least 15 days, at most 26, if I'm doing my math right. And he can write sentences like, affectionately desirous. This is the mind-blowing part. This is how God's economy works in biblical community. That in three weeks, we can be so locked in with this group and see, be so affectionately desirous that in three weeks, we want to share our souls with these people. I submit if you went into a group after three weeks and you got there after three weeks, you likely, and started doing life with them, after three weeks, you'd be sharing your soul with them. This is how God's economy works. Think about it. when you're on a plane and you start talking to somebody and they talk about Jesus and you're like, I'm a Christian. And you start talking, you talk to them about deeper things than some people that you've known for 20 years. This is the economy of God. When believers get together because Christ has saved us and we're just overwhelmed by it, we talk about things that of, of such depth, our hearts are united together that in three weeks we would say to them, I'm so affectionately desirous of you. I'm willing to share my soul with you. This is what biblical community is. This is what we are to pursue with everything we have. I wanna close with this. This is maybe the most popular text in the Bible on community. I intentionally didn't preach it and just use it as my, as my, as my uh, conclusion. Acts 2. You could really go back to 42, but I started at 44. And what I want you to see as we're going through these, these famous verses is all six of my points are right here. All six of them. All who believed and were together and had all things in common, they were selling their possessions and their belongings. Wow, that sounds like they're willing to endure much and they have a selfless love for others. They're selling everything. Why do they do it? And they distributed all the proceeds. Well, that's a mindset to give and not to get, verse point three, as anyone had a need. That means when somebody had a need, I sold my stuff so I could meet their need. I got rid of 
X, Y, Z, because I figured their need's greater than me having this extra lawnmower or whatever you have. And day by day, and day by day, attending the temple together means they were really doing life together. That's day by day, eating together, doing life together. That's sharing their souls, that's point five. And breaking bread in their homes, they receive food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Oh, praising God, that's the ultimate glory of God is their key, that's verse four. And having favor with all people. What did the Lord do? I told you, look through Acts. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. If people are being saved, that means the gospel is being proclaimed, that's point two. This is the most, maybe the most famous text of biblical community in chapter two, in Acts 2. So if you're convinced that you wanna be in biblical community, I, I beg you to fill out that card, yes, so that we can get in contact with you and say, here's how. And if you know that you could be a leader, uh, step out and say yes to being a leader so that more people, the 103, 203 people can jump in and break in and be a part and be able to practice these things. Be a part of the life-giving community groups here at Hope Point and experience biblical community at Hope Point for the glory of Jesus Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.